Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This marks another first for Dr. Doctor. We've had senators, bishops, priests, sisters, but until today, we've never had an ambassador. But today, you will get to hear Ambassador Michelle Bow, a dame of the Order of Malta, who is the Order's ambassador to Palestine. She's going to talk to us about a unique hospital that the Order of Malta runs in Bethlehem called Holy Family Hospital. And it's a mother-baby hospital, which was something completely new to me. Yeah, it's it sounds like such an interesting kind of paradigm over there where it's primarily mothers and babies, which is different than what most of the hospitals are here in the States where you know, just a regular hospital. You got the labor and delivery unit and you've got the sick patients on another floor. So I'm interested to hear how that kind of came about over there. But I know you've been in that hospital, right, Tom? Yes. The first of my three trips to the Holy Land. And what's really important to know about Christians in the Holy Land, many of them in in Bethlehem, it's 90% of the population gets their income through uh, religious tourism, through pilgrimages. So when I was there with, um, I belong to the Order of the Holy Sepulchre, and uh, we visited the Order of Malta Hospital when we were in Bethlehem, and it is a gorgeous building, state-of-the-art uh, facilities. The NICU seemed like any NICU, you know, neonatal intensive care unit that I would have seen in the United States with 18 beds, and they cared for some sick babies, but the, the whole esprit de corps, the whole atmosphere in the hospital, it just oozes love. Uh, Christian love, even though most of the patients are Muslims, because most of the pa- people who live in Palestine are Muslim. Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. And I think especially, you know, I've I've kind of learned a lot about the Holy Land just talking to you about this, but Palestine is not a wealthy country. And then to have a state-of-the-art hospital there is really kind of unheard of, really surprising. Um, it's It's incredible. It doesn't fit with the other buildings you see in Bethlehem that this would be there. And so we wanted to share this story there. I mean, their their NICU survival statistics are actually better than most places in the United States. And as we were talking offline, we realized their families are actually more intact in Palestine. And there is far less, very little uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, or even crisis pregnancies compared to what we see here. And those type of things can make uh, a pregnancy more high risk. I I think, Andrew, that's more your bailiwick than mine. Well, Tom, you're exactly right. I mean, there's a lot of things that can make a pregnancy high risk, but I I don't know. Those numbers are pretty impressive in their own right, especially being over there. You know, we think America's got such good health care, but to be getting beat in uh, maternal and neonatal mortality rates and stuff like that, I'm really excited to talk to the ambassador about this. I know before we get to the interview, though, everybody is waiting for the medical trivia question. And here we go. Yes, the category for today's question is preterm baby survival rates. So according to data from the United States National Institutes of Health, by how many weeks of gestational age do preterm babies survive at the same rate as full-term infants? So full-term is 40 weeks. So is the survival rate at 40 weeks the same as 38, 36, 34, 32, 30? Where where do moms really want to make it to have an equal survival rate for their babies? You're going to have to wait till the end of the show. We'll be back with our interview with Ambassador Michelle Bow after the break. Welcome to our special guest today, Ambassador Michelle Bow. She's the ambassador for the Order of Malta to Palestine. We're going to talk with her today about an incredible hospital I've had an opportunity to visit, Holy Family Mother Baby Hospital in uh, Bethlehem. She was born in Virginia, and uh, she lived outside of the U.S. for much of her holy her early life, including in Amman, Jordan. Uh, she's a graduate from Georgetown University in the School of Foreign Service. She has a master's in Arab Studies. She speaks at least three more languages than I do. Uh, besides English, she speaks Arabic, French, and Spanish. She worked for a while as an economist specializing in the Jordan River Valley region. And having seen the river a few times recently, it's getting pretty small, narrow. Anyway, she's married to Jimbo, another knight of Malta. She's a mother of five grown children. She's 
served on many leadership levels within the Order of Malta. And in 2017, she was named ambassador from the Order of Malta to the state of Palestine. And she serves as a non-resident ambassador, and she serves one to two weeks per month in Palestine, although that has sadly changed because of the pandemic. Since 2013, she's been president of Holy Family Hospital of Bethlehem Foundation. She's regularly a guest on EWTN News uh, and, and, the, and a lot of other stuff. She likes to garden, she likes to ski, and she actually grows olives uh, in Jerusalem. Michelle, Ambassador, welcome to Dr. Doctor. What a delight to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on, uh, Ambassador. And, you know, one of the things I think would be good to help orient all of us is, you know, as, as an American, I've never been to the Holy Land. I'd like to go someday. But when Tom first told me about this hospital, the Holy Family Hospital, I said, okay, what what is the big deal about this place over there, not having been there myself? Can you explain to us the significance of this hospital over in Palestine? It's a little hard to begin, but I'll just start by saying this hospital is 1,500 steps from the birthplace of Christ. You take a left out the front door and you <laughs> walk straight to where Jesus was born and laid in a manger. And it is a, um, a beautiful oasis in the city. It's a um, just a gorgeous architecture, Ottoman building. And of course, the center of the building has um, a chapel. It was originally run by the Daughters of Charity. And at the apex of the roof of the chapel is the Blessed Mother, about 16 feet tall, in the form of the miraculous medal. And she watches over this hospital. And if you want to know the most important thing about this hospital is it's a place of everyday miracles. Um, I'm a mother of five. You talk about I love to garden. I love to ski. I love babies. I just love <laughs> babies. And to me, there's nothing more hopeful in the whole world than a baby. And so if you're a mother in Bethlehem, which is a town under occupation, it's dusty, it's gritty, and you come into this hospital, beautiful green garden, lemon trees, olive trees, orange trees, um, extremely clean, the best care, um, and they just envelop you in this oasis of peace. You just feel the hope. And it's an ecumenical hospital. We have Muslim employees, we have Christian employees, there's only, you know, maybe 2% left of Christians, 46,000 in the Holy Land. Um, but they're working together and take the mothers are having their babies together. And it's a place of peace and a place of hope. And it is a place where I promise you the Blessed Mother is working overtime to create these everyday miracles. So I think there's, there's a couple levels that I've noticed when I've been there. And, and you touched on, on both of the ones I'm thinking of. One is the fact that Christians have become a minority over there, uh, and so Christian-Muslim relationships. Uh, but also there's economic differences in Bethlehem compared to being on the other side of the wall with Israel. Can you kind of describe what the economy is like in Palestine, where this state-of-the-heart hospital is located? So we are— halfway between the Church of the Nativity and the checkpoint to um, Jerusalem. And we are right across from Bethlehem University. The, the area grows poorer by the day because of the wall. You know, a lot of people my age, they had sent their children to school in Jerusalem. They had businesses in Jerusalem. Um, people from Jerusalem shopped at the markets in Bethlehem because they were a little less expensive and fresher. And now we've lost this back and forth. And because Bethlehem is in Palestine, which is occupied, they use the Israeli currency. It's an expensive currency. So the wall, the lack of freedom of movement of goods, um, and labor and capital has made it very expensive. And on top, there's also now this very expensive currency that they use. Not to mention the pandemic, which has been a disaster um, Health-wise, it's been an absolute disaster, but the economic fallout is, is beyond what any of us could have dreamed. 90% of the, 
of the people of Bethlehem have no salaries. Now, you hear me say that very carefully. It doesn't mean they're not working. There's some hospitals that can't pay their employees right now or are paying them maybe just a fraction. But 90% of the people in Bethlehem are employed in the pilgrimage industry. Wow. And so who do they look for for help? Well, it's hard to get it from the state because the state doesn't own its currency. They can't print money to be able to give stimulus checks. So if you can't look to the state, you look to the church. Well, the Catholic Church in the Holy Land is funded, of course, by the Good Friday Collection, but it's also funded by pilgrimages. They own pilgrimage guest house, restaurants. They don't have that either. And so the poor church is watching her people suffer. But one of the things that I learned um, growing up, my parents were extremely generous. And, you know, having grown up in Jordan, it's very, very hospitable. They'll give you at least half, the bigger of the half of anything they have. And so, <laughs> so every family in Bethlehem who is employed or vaguely employed is sharing with everybody else, large extensive families helping for each other. Um, you know, we just came out of Lent um, and, and as Catholics, we, we have personal fasts, but we also fast from meat on Fridays. But the Orthodox, they fast from animal products all during Lent. No milk, no eggs, no meat, no butter, you know, nothing from an animal, no eggs. Um, and a lot of Catholics are doing that too. This, this Lent, they did it to be very penitential, to hope that this pandemic would lift, the vaccines would come in. But I'm really hoping that um, more help from the outside comes into Bethlehem because we're seeing undernourished women coming to the hospital. We're seeing women who save some of their hospital lunch or dinner, their fruit and their bread to bring home to their children. Wow. And we're seeing mothers giving birth to underweight babies because they're such good mothers that they feed their born children, but they don't quite understand that they have to feed their unborn by eating themselves, but they can't eat in front of their children something when there's not much to share. And so for the love of the mothers, it's taking a toll on the, the birth of the babies, um, our NICU and everything else at the hospital. And so I really would ask for your prayers for um, Bethlehem, you know, 46,000 Christians. I'm very worried after the pandemic that there'll be a mass exodus and it will be because of being tired of living under the occupation. Um, but also Christians can leave. Lots of countries will welcome um, Christians. They may be studied abroad. They have family that already left, um, starting with, you know, the Ottoman issues in the 1880s, right up, you know, through the 1980s. And so it's much easier for them to uh, emigrate. And I just pray that things come back to normal um, as soon as possible so that they can reestablish and um, remember that they really are there because they love the Holy Land. And Ambassador, I wondered if you could help also orient us to the Knights of Malta and the Dames of Malta. I know the current president of the CMA, Dr. Mike Parker, and several of our board members of the Catholic Medical Association are Knights and Dames of the Order of Malta. And so the CMA is starting to work with the order on patient-oriented outreach projects. But I suspect our listeners know little of the Order of Malta if they've heard of it. I wonder if you could kind of fill us in a little bit. I can. So the Order of Malta is a lay religious order. And that means we, um, we have two functions. We are a, a, a global institution a, um, um, subject to international law. We have diplomatic relations with, I think it's 110 countries. We have a seat at the UN. We have a seat at the EU, much like the Vatican. And we practice what we call humanitarian diplomacy. The reason why we have these relations isn't to increase trade and things like that, but it's, <laughs> it's to increase the well-being of the citizens of the world. The Order of Malta doesn't have citizens. I mean, it has diplomats like me, and we have I don't know, 11,000 members. But, but the people that we care for are the real, um, our lords, the sick and the poor. We work in 120 countries. We started in a hospital in Jerusalem over 900 years ago, caring for the sick 
and this is extremely forward thinking, so to speak. We cared for men and women. We had the serving brothers and the serving sisters on two different sides of the street. State-of-the-art medical care because we had a single bed for each patient and they had clean linen. And the rule of the order was to clean the linen as many as seven times a day. That's the biblical injuncture of forgiveness, but they understood about clean linens. And so our order started, it's called the Hospitaller Order of St. John of Jerusalem, etc., because we took care of the sick. We um, had medical schools, and um, in that hospital also we took care of the three Abrahamic faiths, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And there's some evidence that we actually delivered babies there, which is um, a little surprising because nobody delivered in a hospital 900 years ago. Everybody had their babies at home. But one of the proudest facts that um, I have about the Order of Malta is in our medical school on the island of Malta in the year 1772, right before the American Revolution, we graduated our first woman doctor. Oh, wow. And I'm just so proud of that. I just, um, I don't know who she is. Maybe one day when I uh, retire or something, I'll go and try to uh, um, do some research on her. But it just makes me so proud because, of course, we had serving sisters and we had um, religious sisters, but we had the first doctor to graduate in 1772. And it just makes me um, proud that we took care of our students to let women have the ability to become doctors as well. Well, we've got some good background uh, down. Let's get into what's been going on at Holy Family Hospital. So 2020 was a year that saw over 4,000 deliveries there, despite these hardships that you've been talking about. Michelle, what are some of the things you're most proud of that you accomplished at the hospital this last year that our listeners should know about? I just don't even know where to start. I think I'm most proud of our staff. I mean, I was there the day that the COVID was discovered at the hotel just up the street. And the streets were cleared. People came out in hazmat suits. They were spraying, I don't know, what kind of disinfectants. Um, the, the police put roadblocks everywhere. Nobody could move. Not a single one of our staff left the hospital. The next morning, everybody showed up exactly on time for their staffs. And this was before we knew about the, the protective gear and whatnot. And they just did their work. They helped women um, who were pregnant negotiate these barricades because it's not always obvious. And they themselves had to get through barricades to get in. And, and then people began to get sick. It was very quiet in the beginning because there was such a, a big um, curfew and closure. And then there became community spread. And um, the Order of Malta was very um, involved in a bunch of international um, efforts to work with Italian doctors who had seen the worst of it first. Um, and we were sharing um, big forums with doctors in developing countries to um teach them about the anticoagulants, about the um, PPE, about the inflammation and all of those things. And so we got the PPE to our hospital. But, I mean, the, the pregnant women still worked. I mean, everybody was there. And when, when people um, got sick or if they had to quarantine, other people worked extra. And so we, we just didn't miss a beat. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we had exactly one half of our NICU staff out. And this is an 18 wow. bed NICU. It's a level three NICU, but, and I know it's not a very medical term to say it's a three plus, but in my mind it is a three plus because they really stretch a little bit. We don't do surgeries, but we really care for some really tiny and very fragile babies. Well, last year you had what, a hundred babies under two pounds you cared for. Yeah. And we had four babies between 23 and 25 weeks who lived. And normally that's not such a wonderful statistic, but we also had a mother who came for pre-medical care to our um, mobile clinic. And she'd been, on, been in a little earlier in her pregnancy, and then there was a bunch of closers. So there'd been a few months that she didn't get any prenatal care. And the doctors measured her and they got everybody out of the mobile clinic, closed the doors, raced her to the hospital, did an emergency C-section at 
30 weeks pregnancy, and it was clear that that was true. The baby was the size of a 23-week-old, and she weighed a pound. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a disaster. And at first, you know, she was kind of active, and then the next thing, she had to be intubated, and then they um, realized that she couldn't tolerate feeding, so she had to be feeding venously. And then we had to transfer her just for a short time for a little uh, radiational um, intervention because she had a blockage um, in her um, GI tract and her intestines or something. And um, she was still at the hospital last time I checked, 63 days. Wow. And and so, so not only do we have our regular NICU, but we're the only NICU for the southern catchment region of Palestine. That means Bethlehem and Hebron for babies um, that need level three care. And so we get the sickest babies, the tiniest babies, the most complicated cases. And so there was our NICU um, with only half of the employees. So they all just covered for each other. And uh, I'm so proud of that. It's just, um, it shows such courage and medicine, you know, as you know, doctor, it's a vocation and our Palestine, our staff is all Palestinian and they are moved by the vocation and they're also um, people of faith and that helps with their vocation too. So it's, it's a beautiful mixture. Are things starting to look up now that the vaccine is produced or are people getting the vaccine over there, hopefully to keep the staffing up? Well, we have had um, 109 of our direct or indirect employees vaccinated um, just as of a couple of days ago, which leaves us with about um, 80 that are not vaccinated. The vaccines are lagging greatly in Palestine. Um, Israel has had 10 million doses for a population of 8.7 million people. And as of yesterday afternoon, Palestine had 120,872 doses for a population of 5.1 million. Wow. Um, And even more telling, yesterday there were 9,000 PCR tests for a population of 5 million. So there's not enough testing. It's very difficult to get things over the border. And so, um, but, but, but the testing, um, I I think it's never going to be able to pick up, but they're working very hard um, to try to pick up the vaccines. Our original group of vaccines were the um, Sputnik vaccine. Russia gave Sputnik vaccines. Um, The second dose were the AstraZeneca vaccines. Um, But what I'm really hoping and praying is that um, a number of countries in the world just step forward with actual vaccines for the people of Palestine. If there's a listener who can pull some strings to get vaccines (laughs) over there, I'm sure the ambassador and the people of Palestine would greatly appreciate it. We're halfway through our interview. It's time to take a break here on Dr. Doctor, but we'll be back with more in just a moment. We're back with the second half of our interview with Ambassador Michelle Bow, ambassador from the Order of Malta to Palestine about Holy Family Hospital, a unique mother-baby hospital in Bethlehem. And when I first saw it, I didn't even know a mother-baby hospital was a thing. Where did these come from? Are they common? And what's the purpose, Ambassador? Well, it's interesting. Two of my babies were born at one in Washington, D.C., which no longer exists. It is a tradition in Ireland and in France. But I think this hospital exists because of Providence. It was a general hospital for the Daughters of Charity. It was closed in the early 80s, and they called the Pope, Pope John Paul II, and they said to Holy Father, what can we do? You know, we're closed, but we want to keep this Catholic hospital's presence here. He said, don't be afraid. Let's ask the Order of Malta. And of course, the Order of Malta said, Holy Father, yes. And he said, well, you've been running hospitals for 900 years. But we said, you can't just open a hospital. You have to do a study. And I promise you, a careful study was done. And the study showed in the town of Bethlehem, what was needed was an infant and maternal hospital. And so it just doesn't get any more beautiful than that. And the Holy Father asked us to run it. And here we are today, 90... 1,000 babies later. We've touched a million lives in Palestine. 
And it's just a beautiful story of life, peace, and hope, 1,500 footsteps from where Jesus was born. You know, Ambassador, one of the things that's interesting in, in kind of this conversation, talking about life, peace, and hope, when when we see or hear things about the Middle East and the Holy Land over here in America, a lot of times it's conflict-oriented, ethnic conflicts, religious conflicts, but you had mentioned this is a pretty ecumenical hospital where Christians and Muslims work together. Can you enlighten us on some of that? Well, for instance, on Fridays, young Muslim women go to the hospital, to the beautiful courtyard to have their wedding photos taken. Oh, wow. And let me tell you, they're back within a year to have a baby. And the <laughs> Christian brides, they come on Saturday for their wedding photos, and they're back within a year to have a baby. The reason why our birth numbers were down last year, we were expecting about four to 500 more babies was because there were no weddings. And if oh, you don't wow. have a wedding in Palestine, you don't have a baby. So every, almost every single baby born at our hospital is from a, a mother and a father married. Um, we do have a little bit of a crisis pregnancy um, program, but that's only maybe seven babies at most a year. And so it is a, um, a, a great way to work. At, in Bethlehem, there's three Christmases a year. And so during Christmases, the Muslim uh, employees cover, and during the month of Ramadan and the Muslim Aids, then the Christians cover. And so you just couldn't ask for a, um, a better workplace. And um, they celebrate birthdays together, and everyone wears the cross of the order. Um, the hospital is full of images of the Holy Family. Um, I'll tell you a story of a mother who um, had actually come from Jordan, a wealthier woman, to visit, and she had her baby. She was married for 10 years, praying for a baby. And finally, she gets pregnant. She's a little older, well, actually a lot older than most first-time mothers at the hospital. And she goes into labor, not expecting to deliver in Bethlehem, and gives birth to a baby 10 weeks early. Ooh, and wow. she named him Zachariah. <laughs> and so I come into the NICU one day, and I look, and my first thought is, hey, where's the big crucifix? And then I looked, and I thought, well, my goodness, where did that icon of the Holy Family come from? And underneath was a little paper in Arabic. It said, this is a gift from Zachariah. So I asked the, the head neonatologist, who's Zachariah? Like, I don't know Zachariah. And they're like, oh, he's over there in the corner. So I went <laughs> over and saw Zachariah, and I could tell he'd been there for a while, and I read the card, and he'd had some issues. And then his mother came in, clearly a Muslim. And so I stood back and let her greet her baby for a little bit. And then afterwards, I you know, introduced myself. I chatted with her. And I said, well, why did you give us this thank you gift when Zachariah is still here? And she said, this is not a thank you gift. This is because when I go back to my in-laws at night and I wake up at three in the morning and I'm panicking about baby Zachariah, I know the Holy Family is going to take care of your staff. And then your staff is going to take good care of Zachariah. And when I'm there during the day holding baby Zachariah, I know that the Holy Family is blessing us. Wow. Wow. I, yes. We don't hear Muslim-Christian interaction stories like that over here. So in other words, what's typically portrayed, like Andrew asked, conflict, what are Muslim-Christian relationships like in Bethlehem? You know, they don't intermarry. And, you know, everyone sort of knows who everybody is. But I don't know, one time there was this other mother, a young, beautiful um, Muslim mother in front of the bassinet with a baby. And not a premature baby, but a baby that had a lot of issues. And I went over and chatted her up. It was Ramadan. And I asked her if she was fasting. And she said, no, you know, I just delivered. I'll fast on another month. And she asked me, are you fasting? And I was a little surprised because I <laughs> assumed she would have thought I was Christian. I usually wear a big crucifix. And, and I said, no, you know, I fast. And I couldn't think of the Arabic word for Lent. So I said, no, I fast in March before Easter. And she's like, oh, you're a Christian. So she said, I'm a person of the book. And you're a person of the book <laughs> and we're just alike. And, um, and then I looked at her and she said, and I love Jesus and Mary and you love Jesus and Mary and we need to have a picture. And I asked her what her baby's name was. And she said, my baby's name is Maria. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I said, that's awesome. My first daughter's name is Maria. And she's like, see, we're exactly alike. <laughs> The wisdom of a 21-year-old first-time mother. I learned so much at that hospital 
Um, none of my degrees, none of my diplomatic training um, <laughs> prepared me for the things that I have learned at that hospital. Um, and at the same time, it's a high tech hospital. We have um, laparoscopic surgeries. We um, have a gestational diabetes clinic. It's the only one in the area. We opened it and we saw our NICU rates come down a little bit. Ooh, we have a clinic that goes out into the desert where there's great barriers to care, to take care of the people. And we've been going to the same villages now for about 25 years. And you can take one look, even if you're not a doctor at the kids, you see the good hair, the good skin, the good teeth. And you can see that we've actually made a true difference in they're still poor. They still have no running water. They have no electricity, but their mothers know how to take good care of them and feed them um, healthily from the things they have readily available. Because you have prenatal care clinics in the hospital we, as well as in outlying areas, don't you? We do. We have prenatal clinic um, in the hospital. It is one thing we're working on. Only 50% of our patients come for prenatal care. So I'm working well, the day before COVID started, I had a big meeting with the Minister of Health, who happens to be an OBGYN, so this is just after her heart. And I had this whole um, trying to do a big campaign, not just for our hospital, but for all of Palestine, to increase prenatal care so that we can have more dignity for women and healthier babies. And then, of course, COVID breaks out the next day, and we had to put it aside. But even now, with COVID raging, um, you know, we have more than 200,000 cases in um, so far in Palestine. We are working on moving forward with this prenatal program because it gives dignity to mothers and it produces healthier babies. And that's what we're all about at Holy Family Hospital. Am Ambassador, I think one of the things that Tom and I were talking about off air previously was that, you know, Palestine is not a first world country necessarily. There's so many areas that are impoverished, but this hospital is so state of the art. How are you guys funded? Well, we are funded um, by begging. We, <laughs> to be <laughs> perfect, Franciscans, to, really. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, we um, we have a foundation located in Washington D.C. And the uh, website is birthplaceofhope.org, birthplaceofhope.org. Um, we send letters to people all across America asking them um, if they would contribute to our work um, in the Holy Land for the mothers and babies of Bethlehem. We write grants to foundations. Um, I ask foreign governments to give us um, money or equipment. Um, the um, Order of the Holy Sepulchre is extremely generous with us and gives us grants. Um, we do ask that patients, if they can, contribute toward their care. And in normal days, a lot of patients could um, pay toward their care, but we subsidize everything by at least 50%. But 46% of our patients before the pandemic only earned $617 a month per household. And they're big families, five kids, two parents, an uncle, et cetera. Um, but the families are very responsible. They love a lot of children, but they always save up for deliveries. <laughs> and, you know, occasionally the father will come to the cashier's office with 10 checks for like $5 each dated for each month to contribute toward the care. So, so these are people with a lot of dignity. And when we, as the Order of Malta, took the hospital under um, our wing to take care of. We thought it would run independently in about 15 years. But because of the um, wall that went up in the meantime, it's grown poorer and poorer, and the people can't afford it. And so um, I go on the radio. Um, in the days when we were more in person, I would be on television asking for money. Um, we have a, um, a man who wrote a book about... Um, the it's a book of the stations of um, the birth of Christ, the stations of the um, nativity. And he gave us the um, royalties from the book. We have receptions. I speak um, anywhere you ask me to go, I'll be there and I'll speak. <laughs> um, we go to parishes. Um, we have a wonderful board of directors for our foundation in Washington, DC, and they'll speak 
And um, to me, it's one of the greatest blessings to introduce this hospital to people, to give them the blessing to share in this work of hope and peace. I mean, I know, um, Tom, that we met because um, you gave your children the opportunity to pick a charity that, that sang to them. And your son, your twin son, Thomas, picked Holy Family Hospital. And it so touched my heart to think of a 15-year-old boy. I thought to myself, that boy is going to be a wonderful father or a wonderful priest with a heart of gold, a 15-year-old boy who cares about the mothers and babies of Bethlehem. And so that's really what it's all about. It's about um, putting a little bit aside, um, and some of us – can do it every month and do a monthly donation to the foundation. And some of us can just do it sometimes, but um, we can all pray for the mothers and babies of Bethlehem. We can all pray for an end to this pandemic, which is really going to help them get on their feet and the rest of us. Um, And we need to pray for the vaccinations to come to Palestine so we can open the pilgrimages and to pray for medical supplies to be able to enter Palestine easily. We need blood. We need oxygen. We need lung surfacent. Um, Surfactant. Yes. Yes. Yep. Open up the lungs. So you Absolutely. mentioned my, my twin son, Thomas. I think you said you had a story about some twins from Holy Family Hospital. We did. Well, we have a lot of story about twins, but this one was really such a poignant story. It was a young woman who was from Gaza, um, married for just a couple Wait, of years. they can come travel from Gaza well, over to your hospital. The answer is no. But this was a very special situation. Wow. Um she's a social worker, which meant that she probably works for the government down there, so very low wage, but educated, a social worker. And she was able to get permission to come to Bethlehem six months pregnant, perfectly good, healthy pregnancy. The doctor said go. It's 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 an hour away right? Without the checkpoints. And so she came for the social workers meeting. And of course, that night, she um, went into um, labor. And she was at the little local hospital where the conference was, they brought her to our hospital for six month babies. And we, we were able to, you know, keep one twin sort of settled for a bit, but they both had to be delivered by emergency C section. Mm. They were tiny. And she was a wreck. She was an absolute wreck. She's on the phone trying to get an ambulance to come from Gaza to get her. She's crying. She wants her husband. She wants her mother. She wants to be home. She wants to be in her hospital in Gaza. And I'll have to say, there's not a hospital like Holy Family Hospital no. in Gaza. And so we told her, please don't worry. And she's a Muslim woman with a very limited means. She can't afford to stay in a hotel. And she knew that you know, after a C-section, she'd stay for two nights. And where would she go? So we said, listen, we're going to take one of our um, post-delivery rooms. It'll be your private room, and you'll stay there, and we're going to give you a key card to the NICU. You go visit those babies anytime. And this was a case, as often happens, one twin was much bigger than the other. So after three weeks or so, the one twin was discharged downstairs with his mother, and we fed her. We took care of her. I mean, she just became the darling of the hospital. (laughs) And about four weeks later, the second twin was ready to come home. And she just couldn't, she's like, I can't believe that you took the same kind of care of me that my family would have taken for me. And she said, my saddest thing is that my husband can't be here right now to, of course, kiss his babies and his wife, but to thank you for the beautiful care that you gave me. And it was just such a nice story of, um, I don't, know if those twins would have survived given the medical shortages in Gaza. So I think it was a blessing, but you could only imagine how difficult it was for that poor mother and just how panicked she must have been and being a social worker, knowing the difficulties of um, having premature babies. And by the way, she was not able to pay for anything. Being a social (laughs) worker from Gaza was just so, you know, that was a cost that, that we just took care of with something that we have that's called the Neediest Baby Fund. And the Neediest Baby Fund takes care of those um, very expensive preemies, but it also, like that one baby that I was saying who needed the um, radiological intervention, Mm -hmm. it paid for that baby to go to that hospital and have that done. Um, We have surgeons in Jerusalem, Israeli surgeons, that will um, 
agree to do a brain shunt or a cardiac surgery. And of course, you know, with a cardiac surgery, when you say yes, you're saying yes to maybe five because a baby rarely has one cardiac surgery. Right. So they transfer work, them across the wall for that. It's very tricky. We work with the Perez Peace Center and you can't cross the checkpoint with an ambulance. So we have to transfer a baby, maybe eight hours old in need of radical, quick cardiac care, get them there, walk them through the checkpoint with oh. the incubator, with the doctor, wow. um, you know, in the battery pack for the respirator and everything, get them into the Israeli ambulance, and then they get them to the Israeli hospital, and the Israeli surgeon does the surgery for free. And we just have wow. to pay a deposit to the hospital, which a normal Palestinian family couldn't pay for, but now we have a little saved up in our neediest baby fund. They do the surgery, and the second the baby is stabilized enough to travel, we have to bring the baby back because it's too expensive that we can't keep the baby in the Israeli hospital. Sure. So it's like, you know, against medical advice discharge here in the country, you would never move a baby right. that tiny, but we bring them back and we put them in our NICU, which also I know we don't do here, but we do do in Palestine, but we put them in our NICU and they are cared for until they're well enough to go home. And the very generous surgeon in, you know, whether it's up, up near Tel Aviv or down near Beersheba, um, We'll follow up that baby till that baby is, you know, six, eight, nine years old, because that's kind of the deal with cardiac surgery. So not uh -huh. only is it a place that is a Catholic teaching hospital that takes care of Muslims and Christians, we also um, work with people of the Jewish faith as donors and um, as um, medical advisors. Um, Sometimes they give us medical advice to read a sonogram or read something across the border via the internet, um, but they'll also um, put in a brain shunt or agree to a heart surgery. So the three great Abrahamic faiths are taking care of the babies of Bethlehem, which is so beautiful. Ambassador, I, I wondered as well, you know, one of the things synonymous with mother-baby care, well-woman care in America is a lot of ethical things as Catholics uh, we don't really like like abortion, terrible things. Mm -hmm. What's the attitude over there? Is it similar to the U.S. or is it different? No, no. Um, <laughs> first of all, abortion is illegal in Palestine. Um, and I've never heard of any, you know, back alley abortions or any of the things that you hear like that. Like I said, the mothers come for their wedding pictures and they're back within a year for a baby. Nobody hires a babysitter. The babies come to weddings <laughs> um, they just come everywhere. They come to the restaurants. I mean, you just don't see a family without their babies. They, they are very baby centric and they, um, um, they like bigger families and they just welcome the babies. Um, there was a baby born at the hospital who clearly had down syndrome and the family that had not gotten prenatal care. So they didn't know, but he was a down syndrome baby that had a lot of heart and other issues. Mm -hmm. And so once we finished up with his neonatal care, we transferred him to the baby hospital. And I went over there to visit him. He was the sixth child, five sisters, first boy. They named him Malik, which means king. And <laughs> they were, they were, they were just, they loved that baby. And, and they just were just so, and I finally said to one of the doctors, you know, they came from a village, you know, do they really understand that he's going to have a lot of health issues with his heart and his lungs? And, and um, they said, right now, they're rejoicing. They have a son. And so it's very different. It's just people are so grateful to have a baby. And, you know, if a mother is married for, you know, eight, 10 months and isn't pregnant, they're sort of knocking at the door trying to figure out, you know, is there something wrong or is it just timing or what? But it is a um, very, very baby-friendly place. There's babies everywhere. And... The moms are so nice. They let you hold their babies. <laughs> <laughs> Baby therapy. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's so wonderful. Michelle, we've come to the end of the interview. What final things would you like to leave with our listeners, uh, especially those who might want to help out in a concrete way, the work that you're doing there in Palestine? Well, prayer is very important. So please pray for the mothers and babies of Bethlehem. Um, talk to your pastor and see if you would like us to come speak. We're ready to come in person for those places which are operating in person. 
We'll do a Zoom talk for your parish otherwise. Um, we have parish programs where we do um, second collections or we talk about the Christians in the Holy Land. And you can also go online to birthplaceofhope.org and make a donation. And with, if you want to make a Mother's Day gift, last minute Mother's Day gift, you can make a donation and print out a card and um, either email it to your mom or um, print it out and hand it to your mom that um, her birthday gift is um, the love and care of a baby born in Bethlehem, just 1,500 steps from where Jesus was born. I can't think of a, as a mom myself with five kids, I can't think of a better gift. Ambassador Michelle Bow, thank you for gracing the, uh, the screens and the uh, microphone of Dr. Doctor. God bless you and your work. God bless you and thank you for the opportunity. Happy Easter and happy Mother's Day. And we're back with the answer to the medical trivia question. So according to data from the NIH, at how many weeks of gestational age, how many weeks along in a pregnancy, does delivery have the same survival rate as a full term or 40 week? And, you know, just to, to set it up, you know, 24 weeks, you know, maybe 50% of babies will live. 26 weeks, maybe 80 to 90%. And at, at 40 weeks, they say classically 98% or more will live. And the answer, uh, according to the statistics, is at 32 weeks. We'll get you to 98%, but the 34 weeks will get you to 98% or more. So the actual answer is 90, 34 weeks, but you're pretty darn close at 32. Yeah, I, it, I don't know. What were you taught in your residency about this, Andrew? You know, I guess I, I don't have that statistic off the top of my head, but I do know that it's amazing what technology is doing with premature infants. And every couple of years, it seems like we're getting to save younger and younger babies with higher success rates. It's still imperfect, but it's amazing. And it's such a blessing that this is available over there, which, you know, in a relatively impoverished country of Palestine, they're still getting such wonderful outcomes. What a blessing. And offline, uh, the ambassador told us that she is so confident in this hospital, she'd be happy for her children or children's wives to have hospital, to have babies here. She would have been happy to have a baby here because the care is so darn good. And now, Andrew, top three takeaways, maybe top three plus one for this episode. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I, I did not know that much about the Holy Land, never having been there. Um, to balance out Tom, who's been there 17 times. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, minus 14, three times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I found it eye-opening, you know, especially the ecumenical nature of this hospital where, you know, the primarily the patients are Muslim, but also Christian, but people of both the Muslim and the Christian faith, as well as people of the Jewish faith do work together in caring for these people. And they get along with good outcomes. And, and the thing the ambassador kept saying was peace and love. And uh, that is not what I think of when I think of the Middle East. And so that was <laughs> welcome good news. And probably something that could help ballast a lot of what we hear about the Middle East just in the American news cycle. So that was kind of my number one. Um, I was really impressed too, not in a good way, but by the paucity of resources related to coronavirus. You know, you hear the Pope talking about how it's so important that there's a just distribution, not only the vaccine, but, you know, PPE and things of that nature. And I know even hear the struggles early on with us trying to get PPE, but they're still having those struggles over there. And, uh, you know, they're the just the numbers of the vaccines that have been given per population in Israel, they're leading the world, I think, in a percentage of their population that's been vaccinated. But what, a half a mile away, just terrible, terrible numbers. So it really does. About, about 2% of the population on average would have gotten one vaccine vaccination in Palestine versus over one per person in Israel. Yeah. See that, I mean, that is inequitable and that's something that needs to be fixed. And so I, I really appreciate those numbers to kind of highlight the importance of solidarity with, with the poor. And then, you know, lastly, the, the thing that I kind of walked away from as well was just the different cultural dynamics uh, in Palestine compared to America, where you know, the ambassador was talking about how intact the families are. 
They rarely have crisis pregnancies, which is like a major outreach in America. Over there, it's such a different situation where they don't have the crisis pregnancies, but all pregnancies, only half of them have prenatal care, I think she said. Anytime somebody with insufficient prenatal care comes into a hospital in America, that's like, oh, we got to watch this one extra close. Well, that's like half of the people over there. So (laughs) it's really interesting. But I think it also highlights to us that we probably have a lot to learn from them where having the intact families, avoiding the crisis pregnancies, I can't imagine taking wedding pictures at the baby hospital. Uh, (laughs) I think there's probably a marketing angle there for for hospitals in America. But uh, yeah, no, I think in, in regard to ethics and social mores, we probably have a lot to learn from them. So it's it's a beautiful thing, and I'm so happy to have learned about it today. I hope we've expanded the horizons of our listeners who we thank for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And be sure to rate and review our show to help new listeners find us. You can also find all of our old episodes on drdoctor.org. And please be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.